Welcome to On The Money, where you can find out anything and everything to do with finance, business and the economy. On The Money comes to you from the studios of Radio 2SER and broadcast nationwide on the Community Radio Network. I'm Tanya Katsanis, and this week we're celebrating International Women's Day. It's the day we celebrate those women who are paving the way for positive change, fighting for equity in the workplace and equality in society. Part of that struggle is to fight for female financial independence. It's still breathtaking that Australian women represent less than 20% of senior roles in organisations and most are retiring with 20.5% less super than men. So, this International Women's Day will focus on women in business. What are the present benchmarks? How much has changed? And how much still needs to change in order to achieve equality of opportunity? And how do we ensure equality for women as they transition into those retirement years? It's going to be a great show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to On The Money. International Women's Day is Sunday 8th of March and the theme for 2020 is Each for Equal. It's a great theme when you're talking about women in business. So here joining me on this very special show is Natasha Jensen's accountant, founder of Women with Sense and author of Wonder Woman's Guide to Money and Lydia Musa, founding director and lead facilitator of The Change Hub. Welcome ladies. Hi. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Now Natasha, you're joining us um, via phone only because you've got to rush out and grab some kids later but again that's something that working women do so I wanted to start with a very easy question how far off are we from equality in the workplace and that one's for you Natasha oh goodness me I think oh look if we could get it for my daughter's generation I would be happy but um, I think it's going to be a long long journey and part of that is predominantly to do actually with the behaviours that we're all conditioned to and that we're modelling for the next generation. So my husband and I are very conscious of trying to shift, you know, the norm and what we're presenting to the kids as being, you know, normal social standards and what's expected of boys versus girls. Now, Lydia, you are obviously a change facilitator. You run the Change Hub. What is it in the workplace that you see that influences obviously having that, gaining that equality in, in the workplace? Well, what we see is every organisation is different, every industry is different, uh, even down to every department might be a bit different. So to really, uh, there's no one answer, actually, but um, uh, studies show that there are a multitude of different uh, barriers that can lead to something like this. So uh, you have to actually find, take the time to find out what the underlying root causes are or barriers are that are preventing that equality. But is there is there a particular barrier that you see that's a common thread? I know every business is different, but is there something that is that you can sort of see is common throughout? So we can 
look at the setting itself and look at barriers such as existing, uh, obviously the existing culture, leadership, the incentives in place. Uh, you can also look at the existing communications and the way teams run. So there's so many things that can uh, that can contribute to that. But yes, the culture and obviously leadership are two huge topics uh, that need to be tackled. And uh, there's so many different strategies that you can do to tackle these two big areas. And we're talking, if we're talking in the workplace, let's talk about the pay gap because obviously that's constantly in the media where there's issues. Now, Natasha, you obviously teach money, uh, sorry, you teach ladies and, and women about money management. The pay, is that a pay gap is a big issue for them or not? Uh, in, in what sense are we talking if the pay gap is an issue? From their financial, getting financial independence. Well, look, obviously, you know, it makes <laughs> the more you earn, the easier you will um, hit all your targets. You know, it certainly makes an impact. And then when we look at the compounding impact of the fact that lower pay results in lower super, which is then accumulating at a slower pace as well, it, it will certainly add up over the years for sure. So when you do these education, financial education for women, do you teach them how to negotiate or to understand their worth in the workplace or not? It's something that we're starting to get involved with, especially around the psychology of money, because a lot of that, you know, it plays such a huge um, impact, especially if you have low self-confidence. And as women, we value ourselves in so many ways as others value us. So, you know, what does that say to you if you know that you are paid less versus your male colleagues? Obviously, that's going to have an impact on your perception of your self-worth and your ability to then negotiate a higher pay rate um, in the future. So it's certainly something we're starting to look at doing more of for sure. And tell me, what do you see are the biggest challenges facing women for f- getting financial freedom? To be honest, the biggest challenge is that we have been conditioned to prioritise the urgent over the important. So as women and as girls, you know, looking at how our mums are behaving, and I know I'm making huge generalisations here, but in so many cases, you know, we're conditioned that it's our responsibility to look after everyone. It's our responsibility to look after the household. It's our responsibility to look after the cooking and the groceries and the laundry. And so what I see so often, and it's such a huge part of my job, is trying to make women realise that we can't afford to think that way anymore because you'll never reach that point where you have time to think about your super or to look at investing and those sorts of things. And that's the biggest obstacle that I find is women just feel like they don't have the time for it because there's other things that are more pressing that are expected of them. So, Lydia, I see you're nodding your head. So (laughs) what are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree with Natasha. I think um, that whole important versus urgent thing and that's something that is all around, you know, your capacity. So what is your in your capacity? Um, and as women, yes, we do try and go beyond our capacity and we think we can multitask and sure, many of us can, but um, it's about the mentality of, well, we don't actually need to do it all um, and to have to create a support network of some sort. And that's what gets me through, really. Um, I've got two young ones under five and having a support network is by far the biggest um, help that I've gotten uh, to to achieve anything really. So I think it's about our own mindset sometimes, um, knowing that we can let go, uh, and uh, and giving and empowering others around us to be able to take ownership of those things. I mean, yes, we might do it at ninety eight percent, and someone else might do it at 
you know, 90%, but be happy with that and being able to say, you know what, yes, I'm okay to so do this. So are we educating the wrong sex? Should we be focusing on give, saying to men, hey, you need to step up and do this rather than telling women, hey, you need not to feel guilty? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? And and, and rather than an educating men um, kind of way, it's more about empowering men. You know, we always talk about empowering women, um, but I think we also need to empower men to to let them know that they are great dads and they can really support us in so many other ways, not just financially. Uh, and being able to have the open conversation um, with our partners and with our families uh, and being able to say, you know what, I actually can't do it on our, I don't want to do it all because I see value in my kids spending time, quality time with their dad or with my parents or with their aunties and uncles. So being able to just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it all and are empowering others around me too. So when we're looking at that, and especially because women do want it all, and are we asking for too much? Do you think it's exhausting and we're never going to achieve it? I think, I mean, I'm not sure what Natasha's take on that is, but I think we can achieve what we set out to do, but we can only achieve it through collaboration with others around us. I mean, we can't do anything alone. Not not anything. Not move forward faster or, or or improve anything if we do everything alone. I think it's a really isolated mentality, and and it, it will exhaust us, and we will be burnt out, and we'll be constantly kind of reacting and firefighting rather than being a bit more proactive and more. Um, in control. Natasha, how do you feel about that? Look, I agree. And I thought you used a very interesting word just before, and that's guilt. I felt an immense amount of guilt when I was letting go of the mental loan. You know, like I was less of a wife and I was less of a mother and, you know, and I was failing family members or workplaces or whatever um, if I wasn't taking it all. And when we think about that, a lot of that has come if we look at all the marketing, everything, you know, and even if we look at, you know, the magazines in the 50s, it was all about being the perfect housewife, having the perfect home, you know, all that pressure for everything to be perfect. And that's what we have to realize is that it doesn't have to be perfect, exactly as what Lydia said. Done is better than perfect, you know, and often we can sort of block our own progress by thinking, oh, well, you know, by the time I tell you how to do it, I may as well go and do it myself or it won't be done right. And it's like we, t- we really have to work on letting that go and going, who cares? You know, if you eat toast for dinner every night this week, it doesn't matter. You know, he no, will learn how but, to cook. <laughs> but it doesn't. But the interesting thing is, and, and, I, and I, when I sit down with uh, other women who've had small businesses, the one interesting factor is, and this happened to you, Natasha, in one of your interviews I read, that your work-life balance revolves around the needs of your kids to do school drop-off, etc. So when women go into business or uh, to start their own business, and if they've got families, they always factor in how they're going to manage their family life or their children. So then what they will do is postpone or lengthen that trajectory to success because they need to work around their kids' needs. So do you think that we also have to change the mindset and get our partners or parents or carers to step up and help us? Absolutely. And this is where that pay gap comes into it because what I see, and it's the same thing when you're starting up your business as well, but also I see it so often with couples, it's really so much of a focus on gender roles and it more ends up being a financial decision. The one who gets paid less will be the one who will cut back more. And what I found was when I was starting my business, I remember I valued my husband's time over my own purely because his business was more established. We felt the cash flow impact more immediately than what we would, you know, with a startup that isn't bringing that cash flow in. And he and I had to make a conscious effort 
to go, actually, we can't work with the short-term lens, otherwise it's never going to get there. I have to value my time as though my business is fully fledged. And if I, if I wasn't self-employed, I would say I have to value my time just as much as I value my partner's because otherwise it will always be me compromising on my time because I feel that it's worth less and makes less of a contribution. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. But again, when we talk about two women, women will always factor in if they have a family, where, how they're going to manage that life. So we haven't learned to let go is, is probably the main thing. So yeah, because it's that role modeling that we're taught that it's, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure everyone is looked after. So it becomes about, as you say, couples having that conversation, families having that conversation and going, well, actually, let's all sort of um, band together and and look at who can take on what. But you're right, you know, some of it is in our nature that we're just going to naturally look out for others, you know. So, yeah, it's just something to be mindful of and work together as a team. My name is François Carrière. I am at the UTS Business School and you are listening to On The Money, serving up finance in one easy bite. Do you feel that women do put pressure on each other to be successful in every aspect of their life? Uh, I think um, maybe not, definitely not on purpose, maybe. I don't know. I don't think it's on purpose. Um, I think now with social media and how close uh, every one and everything is uh, I think it just happens by osmosis uh, and I think it's just more of the perception that people have and what success is because I think uh, everyone ha- should and does have a v- different version of what success looks like. Uh, I mean, one one person and one family's look of success might be a great family, um, healthy children. Another one could be a financial status. Uh, another one could be reputation. Whatever it is, everyone has a different version of success. So I think it uh, we we do um, in this day and age we do compare a fair bit because everything is out there, um, but I think it's up to us to look at what our needs are as a family, what our priorities are um, as a family, and what it is that our goals are. So if we step back and stop looking externally and start looking internally, then we don't need to compete and we don't need to uh, have this uh, status quo of what success looks like for a woman. Uh, it's more around what is good for me and my family. What, Like Natasha said, what have I spoken to my partner about and what have we agreed on? Uh, and it's and, and to be able to face everyone else and say, you know what, this is something that we've spoken about and this is our, our life. This is how we run it, whether it's, you know, um, my husband's staying at home or I'm or I'm the one who's looking after our children whatever it is this is what works for us now in terms of um, you know support networks yes we do need to be able to educate but we also need to be able to say well you know what yes um, I will put them after school um, my daughter is in after school care four days a week yep. <laughs> you know and obviously when you first think about it that you're like oh I felt a bit guilty at the start but 
um, how else am I going to have a full day of work from, you know, if I'm not doing 9.30 to 2.30? I can't establish a, a business that way. So I'm okay with that. And actually, our relationship has improved dramatically as well. Uh, you probably need that free time. But I also wanted to talk about financial independence for a woman or, or getting financial understanding or financial education because I don't – Traditionally, again, and these are all the stereotypes, women are known as the shoppers or the spenders, so we don't, we're not very good with our money. So, Natasha, from your point of view, when you're holding these seminars to educate women, what are the top three sort of tips you sort of try and instill in them so they can walk away? Well, look, the first is for them to be able to recognise the two biggest risks to a woman's financial independence. And from where I sit, I see that as being number one when we get into a relationship because that's where the gender stereotypes will come into it without either person really realising it. But often at that point, you may have been, you know, an independent woman looking after your finances. That's all great when it's you on your own. But when, when you team up, what I see very often, unless we make a conscious effort to override it, very often we'll, as women, feel the pressure to look after the household, as I said before, and then we'll delegate the responsibility of investment and super and more long-term planning to our partners. So that's number one. We need to still, doesn't matter who's doing it, we need to still be actively involved in the decision-making. And then the second risk comes if we decide to have children because at that point, so many of us are taking a step back from work and when that becomes an extended time frame, if you had a few kids, for example, now what you're starting to do is sacrifice your ability to earn your own income. And we live in such a competitive environment that it can take you just being out of the workforce for a few years, you start to then struggle to get your foot back in that door. So that's my first point is raising awareness of what the risks are so that women can start to manage it. And even if, you know, if it was always your dream to be a stay-at-home mum, to recognise that you can't necessarily afford to do that anymore and you need to find a way to maintain your own independence. So that can be through you know, doing a little bit of freelancing or volunteering and being involved with charitable organisations. It'll be great for your sanity as well, um, but also just as far as keeping your CV current so that you still have that ability to step out on your own if something happens and you need to do that. So that's the main one, but as far as tips, Look, it's about women realising that we're not bad at money, that we're actually incredibly good at analysing options, which is great when it comes to investing and those sorts of things. So just building up our confidence as well to get involved and making sure that together with our partners, even if we're delegating things, that we're still being involved in it together. So making joint plans, both for short, medium and long term, looking at simple ways to automate our money and making sure that we prioritize our savings so you know not falling into that trap of waiting for that day when there's money to save but actually making your goals and your saving goals and plans treating that as a non-negotiable the same way you would treat a bill and then forming your financial decisions around everything else which includes where you live and what car you drive and all the rest around what you can afford in order to be able to, you know, save for, for the future and achieve your goals. So can goal. I ask, is it a wise decision if you're in a relationship that you have a separate bank account to that of your partner as well? Is that important for maintaining some independence? Uh, it depends, first of all, whose names they are in. It also depends on how long you have been in a relationship and what the dynamic is like otherwise. But I always say, look, having the ability to access your own money is extremely important. And, you know, I've had women ask me about, you know, keeping runaway money or something like that. 
that's perfectly fine. But the red flag should be if you feel that that money needs to be secret. So if there's any secrecy in the relationship, whether that's about savings and assets or whether it's about debt, that then starts to become a red flag from that point of view. And, and look, having conversations with anybody around money is always one of those really touchy subjects, especially when you're talking about um, spending habits. So the question is, and I also read in one of your interviews, uh, Natasha, that you mentioned that uh, in one of your conversations, you need to have fun around having that conversation about money. How do you do that? How do you have fun about a money conversation? Yeah, so it's mainly around attaching it, you know, to go, so having a chat around, but just about your lifestyle because your life decisions are your financial decisions. You know, your life goals are the financial goals. So just sitting down and talking about the fun stuff. What do we, what do we want to be doing next year? What do we want to be doing, you know, in five years' time or ten years' time? And then, you know, gradually starting to work backwards from there. Because the mistake that so many of us make is we don't talk about money, we're not taught to talk about money because it's taboo, it's private, it's hush-hush. And there's a lot of um, pride and shame and a whole lot of emotions that are attached to the topic as well. So the risk becomes that we only start to talk about it when tensions are running high and when we're really stressed out. And that just doesn't do any good to your stress levels or to the relationship. So yeah, taking the time to talk about the good stuff and plan that in ahead of time is a really good habit. Now, Lydia, I want to go back to you because obviously you've got the Change Hub and you're a facilitator for change within the workplace, but you started off as a pharmacist and again, male-dominated. So the transition from one career to the other, did you experience any roadblocks? Uh, In the transition, it wasn't around road... I mean, obviously there's roadblocks with any uh, transition career, uh, but it wasn't around male-dominated or not. Um, Actually, pharmacy is (laughs) female-dominated. And uh, so there was nothing in that sense. Uh, For me growing up, I never had that as a thought even because um, I was born in Egypt and uh, lived there for 10 years and I'm one of three girls. So for us, it was um, back there, that is a male-dominated country and that, you know, a woman is really at the lowest of the status um, or of the, you know, food chain, if you like. Um, So for us coming from um, a setting like that to here, this is the land of opportunities. You know, you don't see it in that light. Um, Obviously, growing up and then hearing more about it, you realise it. But um, as I grew up, I think for me, it was, I felt that it didn't really affect me much and I didn't feel inferior or superior to men in any way. So you felt like they're equal? It, growing up, yeah, definitely. And it what was about more about starting this business, starting the change hub? Um, again, it's, I don't know, I've always felt it's around my own merits and what I have been able to achieve rather than um, looking at my counterparts or what they've achieved. It was all, it's all always been around, well, if I don't know how to do it, I could either find someone else who knows how to do it so that I can have that capability in-house or I can upskill myself and that's what led me to do my PhD and change implementation so that I can go out there and say, well, actually, I know my stuff really well um, and, you know, there's none of this, you know, impossible syndrome that lots of um, um, people talk about. So it was around equipping myself and being able to have that capability and putting it in my own control rather than leaving it up to what's out there. So in terms of wanting to start your business, did you have to seek investors? Did you find any issues with that or you've just basically will grow organically? I've, I'm going through organic growth at the moment, which has been um, uh, working well so far. Uh, and and I think, you know, if, if the time comes and I do need to scale up, um, 
um, which is on hopefully on the horizon, then I will seek investment. And you know, I've, um, I'm part of the startup UTS startup community because that's where I'm completing my PhD, um, and they've been really supportive in putting um, startups out there that have uh, that you know showcase our uh, our um, what we do, and we pitch constantly, and they just put us out there to network, and that's been really great. And I don't see any uh, there's a huge diversity, so I don't see any of that um, male versus female kind of um, inequality in any way. So I think, again, it's about looking at ourselves with our own merit and um, looking at our own capabilities and what we can bring on to, um, on to an organisation and just a shift in our own mindsets. But I also think, uh, especially women, because there is uh, more women are starting their own businesses than ever before, that probably offers you a more level playing field than being an employee in a corporate workplace. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, I think yes, because you're making your own rules, right? That's right. And you're basically fine. So, uh, and Natasha, what do you feel about that statement? Do you think there's a it's it's a much more even playing field? When you started your business, for example, did you find it easier? Um, look, I had a very similar experience to Lydia. I've always I worked a lot in sort of male dominated professions, and it was such a norm to me that I never really looked through a gender lens. And I was very fortunate to have some really strong mentors. Although I do recall working at a big corporate firm um, many years ago and when I was looking at going part-time, having the challenge of um, being told, well, you know, how do we put you up for a promotion when you're working part-time? You know, how do we justify that? And that's really where I feel that um, the challenge lies. And so I feel that as a society, it's not so much that we have a conscious um, bias against women as such but we have a cultural bias against anyone who's part-time it just happens that the majority of women are the part-time workers and that's what we need to look to shift i just now we need to wrap up we always run out of time because we have so much fun so if i could finish with the final question in all that we've discussed in getting equality and um, equity in the workplace is what's the one piece of advice you can offer a female and i'll give it to you lydia to start with and just uh, I think, uh, like what we've said, seek support. How about you, Natasha? And to say no. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay, well, I wanted to say thank you to both of you for coming in to join us today. It's been really enlightening. So I hope you have a happy International Women's Day. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you for Thanks having us. And that's all we have for you on The Money This Week. A special thanks to our wonderful and inspiring women, Natasha Jansons, accountant, founder of Women With Sense and author of Wonder Woman's Guide to Money, and Lydia Musa, founding director and lead facilitator of The Change Hub. Don't forget the hashtags Each for Equal and IWD2020. Special thanks to our executive producer, Roderick Chambers, and producers Veronica Alishina and Daniel Ellison. On the Money is produced in the studios of Radio 2SER for the Community Radio Network with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find all our shows and stories at 2SER.com forward slash on the money. Follow us on Twitter, look for at on the money, 2SER, and find us on Facebook. I'm Tanya Katsanas. We'll be back again next week to give you the inside running of all things financial. Thanks for your company. Listener.